0: Peace be with you in Jesus' name. Amen. The text that uh, is the basis for my message to you this morning is partly from the gospel reading that we just heard a little while ago Jesus' encounter with that Samaritan woman. But more specifically, it comes from the part of Scripture that immediately follows that story. It's the the account of Jesus' conversation with his disciples that took place after his encounter with the Samaritan woman. So we read that text, uh, which is printed there for you in your bulletin, if you want to follow along the rest of the story. Remember that Jesus had just told that Samaritan woman that he was indeed the Messiah. And the story continues. Just then, his disciples returned. Remember, they had gone to, to uh, find some food. And they were surprised to find him, to find Jesus talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? or Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. This is the Word of God for our consideration this morning. Fellow disciples of our risen, living Savior Jesus Christ. One of my favorite comic strips of all times is Peanuts. That classic comic strip by Charles Schultz featuring good old Charlie Brown, maybe you've heard of it. In one of those comic strips Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus are are laying on the grass just kind of looking up at the sky and, and Lucy says you know if you use your imagination you can see all kinds of things in the clouds. Linus what do you see? Linus says well you know over there is a map of the British Honduras of the Caribbean and over there I see the profile of the famous 19th century artist and sculptor Thomas Eakins. And and over there, you can distinctly make out the stoning of Stephen, complete with the Apostle Paul standing nearby watching. Lucy says, Hmm, what do you see, Charlie Brown? And Charlie Brown says, Well, I was going to say I see a ducky and a horsey, but I think I've changed my mind. Ah, good old Charlie Brown. Didn't quite have that same refined, exquisite vision that Linus had, did he? seems to me that's a lot like the disciples in this story that we just heard. They themselves didn't quite have the same profound, deeply spiritual vision that Jesus had. But that's exactly the vision that Jesus was calling them to have. He wanted them to see things the way he was seeing them. He wanted them to see the fields are ripe for harvest. He wanted them to notice the people that were coming their way, the people that any of the people that they would encounter, and see them as souls needing to be harvested or brought into God's kingdom. Call it what you will, having an evangelism emphasis, being mission minded, being outreach oriented, no matter what you label it, this is one of the habits of a disciple, that we see what Jesus sees, fields ripe for harvest. And as Jesus says in those last words of our text, that habit starts with opening our eyes. It continues on and certainly involves looking at the fields, and ultimately, it culminates in seeing that those fields are indeed ripe for harvest. When I wake up in, in the morning, my, I might have some sleep in my eyes, I might have a little blurry vision, but I don't need Janna to tell me, hey, Ron, open your eyes. <laughs> that comes as naturally almost as breathing. Right? Unfortunately, opening our eyes the way that Jesus wants our eyes opened isn't quite so natural for us. Case in point, the disciples in our text, and thus Jesus has to tell them, hey guys, open your eyes. Right? But it wasn't that they were blind, it wasn't that they were sleepwalking, it wasn't that they were just kind of clumsily knocking things over, bumping into each other, tripping over the rocks on the ground or whatever. The problem was that they were really more concerned about their lunch, right? They weren't seeing the mission field that was coming their way in that crowd of Samaritans. And so as far as Jesus was concerned, their eyes might as well have been closed. So am I saying that sitting down to have lunch is a sin? Oh, of course not. You know better than that. We've got to eat. We've we've got to rest so that we can do God's work. But here's the deal, and let's be clear on this. When chasing after daily bread in our life consumes us, or when the affairs of this world become so comprehensive for us that we neglect to see the affairs of God's kingdom, that's a problem. When maintaining our standard of living and keeping up with the Joneses and, and chasing the, pers- the, the pleasures of this world and, and the things that entertain us, when just taking care of day-to-day business, when all of that causes us to, to, to ignore or, or push aside or just simply reject the work of God's kingdom and to, and to not see the mission fields and the outreach opportunities that lie before us, that's a problem. It's a problem such that Jesus might be saying to us, too, then, open your eyes. Well, there's a bit of bite in that bark from Jesus, isn't there? A little criticism, a little chiding, maybe even a little rebuke, we would say. And maybe it's even enough to make us kind of want to go hide under a a rock from Jesus. Maybe hang our heads in shame, letting Jesus down. And if that is the case, repent, and then remember who's talking to you. This is your gracious, loving Savior calling you. He is not the coach on the sidelines who's going to threaten to cut you from the team if you don't perform. He's not the boss in the executive corner office who says, I'm going to fire you if you don't live up to your job description. This is the the Savior of the world, your loving, gracious Savior, who is there to give you that living water that wells up within you to eternal life. This is the one who said his, his food was to do nothing more than the will of God and accomplish his work. The will and the work of God that was to save you. This is the Jesus who is not on the sideline but the one who, who came into our world and took on our flesh. The one who lived perfectly in our place. The one who died on the cross to save you from your sins and pay for those sins. The, the one who rose again on Easter Day to conquer death for us. That's the Savior who's calling you. That's the one with whom you were united in the waters of baptism and the one who in those waters of baptism crucified your sinful nature and raised you up to to live a new life with Him. And so it is that you are a new creation in Christ. And we can all say with Paul, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. His eyes become our eyes. And those are open eyes, eyes wide open to the mission fields. And so it is, eh? we could say that being a disciple is really an eye-opening experience for us. Well, it's great that our eyes are indeed opened, but what exactly does Jesus want us to look at? Well, he says to the disciples, open your eyes and look at the fields. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand that Jesus is not talking about farming here, right? He's, he's not talking about actual fields to look at. He's talking about people. I, I have no doubt that, that when Jesus says those words to his disciples, he's doing one of these. You know, look Look, guys, look at the crowds of people coming your way. Do I need a big neon sign here? Look. It's people that Jesus wants us to look at. And that's why John makes sure to include this fact in our story. He's telling about this discussion with his disciples. Why does he bother to tell this little fact that, oh, meanwhile, these crowds are coming towards him? Because that's an integral part of the story. Jesus wants them and wants us to look at the people that come into our lives. Now notice that Jesus is not telling us to look inwardly. He's not saying, look deep within yourself and find your inner strength, your your inner man so that you can be the best that you can be. We do enough navel-gazing as it is. In fact, I already talked about how being self-absorbed is part of the problem that blinds us. No, here Jesus is directing our gaze outward to look at the fields of people, the people that he cares about. Sometimes those fields of people are crowds of people, like the crowds of Samaritans that were coming from the town towards Jesus and the disciples, like the crowds of people that graced our presence here on Easter Sunday. The groups of people that grace our presence on any given Sunday. The crowds of people, students and families, parents that, that come into our school now and, and in the past and in the future. The mass of people that maybe we hope stumble on our website. The, the, who, whom we send mass mailings to or, or invite to some kind of outreach event. Whatever the case may be. Sometimes looking at the fields deals with a mass of people. Sometimes looking at the fields means to look at a field, to have a one on one personal conversation with somebody like Jesus had with that Samaritan woman, right? Maybe looking at the fields means that you actually talk to your next door neighbor, or you talk to your coworker or you notice that person in the hospital waiting room with you who looks a little despondent and find a way to strike up a conversation. Maybe it means you call an old friend. Maybe it means you make a new friend with a fellow mother at the, at the park who's playing, whose kids are playing with yours. Whether it's crowds of people or a single individual, is it possible that looking at the fields might push the boundaries of our comfort zone a little bit? Yeah, it might. You know, Jesus' encounter with that Samaritan woman, the encounter he was about to have with those crowds of Samaritans coming his way, that just wasn't right. That just wasn't kosher for Jews. It even said that in the text, the gospel reading, right? It says Jews don't normally associate with Samaritans. That's a... Oh. That's a bad thing, right? And for Jesus to be talking with that woman, a strange woman, alone, oh, the scandal, right? Sometimes we've got to go out of our comfort zone and push the boundaries of what's maybe acceptable. For the Jews, all that interaction was unacceptable. But from a worldly point of view, from Jesus' point of view, it was exactly the right thing to do. Because for him, whether you're Jew or Samaritan, whether you're a man or a woman, it didn't matter. Whether you're, you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, rich or poor, black or white... American, Chinese, or Russian, it doesn't matter to Jesus. Because in Jesus' eyes, all have sinned. And in Jesus' eyes, he's paid for the sins of all people. And so it is that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Did you catch that in the Gospel reading? Or go back and look at it, the very first verse of that Gospel reading. It says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Samaria. He was going from Judea down in the south to Galilee up in the north. Samaria is right in the middle. It says he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't have to. In fact, Jews would have gone out of their way to bypass Samaria because, as it said, that just wasn't kosher for them to associate with. But not Jesus. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? It's not rocket science, people. Why did he have to go that way? because there were people there, plain and simple. There was a mission field there. For us to see things the way God sees them means to look at the fields, the people around us, all of them and each individual one of them and recognize that these are people with whom God wants to have a conversation through us, through you. Now, I'm sure you realize that looking is one thing, but seeing, really seeing is quite another, right? It goes much deeper. And for us to see and really see what Jesus sees means not just opening our eyes, not just looking at the fields, but seeing that those fields are ripe for harvest. It means seeing that the people that we're looking at are not just warm bodies with arms and legs whom we can have some kind of business interaction with, but seeing that those people are souls. Souls with sins that need to know about the forgiveness of sins that Christ offers them. Souls in need of being harvested into God's kingdom. And so the question is to you, how do you see the people in your life? The people you encounter. You see in this traffic congestion. Yeah. The crowds are getting our way at the stores. Rude customers. Just fellow fans at the big ball game. See scary strangers. You see a person as a business opportunity, a sales opportunity. You see them as just a neighbor, just a co-worker, just somebody who you can swap recipes with or, or have a beer with. Oh, there's a ton of ways we can see people, but there's only one way that Jesus really wants you to see them, and that is as souls. Souls who, he said, need to be harvested into his kingdom. And here's the cool thing about this harvest work. You don't have to go buy some big fancy farm machinery combines or reapers or whatever I don't know what I'm talking about but but the cool thing about this harvest work that we have to do is that we've already got the harvest tool we have the Word of God the message of reconciliation as as Paul called it And, and yeah sometimes That harvest work and using that tool means pricking the conscience of somebody, kind of exposing their sin uh, a little bit like Jesus did with that Samaritan woman. But even that serves the greater purpose, that purpose of of making them realize how thirsty they are, making them crave that life-giving water that Jesus has to offer. And that then is when the best harvest work can take place, when we get to give them that nice, big, cool, refreshing drink of water, that life-giving water that is Jesus. We get to tell them about Jesus. We get to tell them that their sins are forgiven. We get to tell them that the gates of heaven are open wide for them by the grace of God. What a great job that is. What a privilege it is for us to do that harvest work. It's time for that harvest work. Jesus didn't just say there's a harvest out there. He said the harvest is ripe. The work is to be done now. Right? Not this saying about, you know, the harvest is four months from now. None of this business about, well, we can get to it later. Maybe, you know, when our, our, our church has better financial situations, then we can worry about outreach and evangelism. Or maybe uh, none of this business about, well, maybe when I'm older, I can do that kind of thing. Or maybe when I have a little more Bible knowledge, I can do that kind of thing. None of this, uh, maybe when my life is a little more settled and my career is more, more structured and settled, then I can think about those things. No. And on another occasion, Jesus has said, well, you know, let's work while it is day before the night comes when no one can work. And those souls out there that need to be harvested, they may not have tomorrow. The harvest is ripe. Right? Maybe you've been to a church and you've seen one of these signs when you're leaving we don't, we don't have them here, but in some, some churches have a sign that, the, uh, as you leave, that you can only read as you leave the parking lot and are about to turn on the street. Right? It says, now entering the mission field. What, what a great reminder that is for us. Right? No matter where we go, which direction we turn, no matter who we encounter in our lives, that's the mission field. That's how Jesus sees things. And that's the way that we as disciples see things. That is one of our habits, that we see what He sees. By right? the grace of God, our eyes have been opened. we have been made anew. And God has turn, Christ has turned our gaze to look at the fields of people that, that come into our lives. And realize then that they are ripe for harvest. People of God, it's time to get to work. Amen.